A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Gare out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little, it is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. Welcome, everyone, to Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehudi Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites, and not a very typical episode at all. Taking a little break um, from, from the standard. And I can't say I've ever been asked to give a tour of Yankee Stadium, even though there's loads of history there and Jewish history. But... You know, a little different than the European tours that I usually do of Jewish history. We'll talk a little bit today about Jews and baseball. It's the honor of the World Series, which is going on now. And I want to take the opportunity to dedicate this episode, which is one of the reasons I'm doing it as a a little bit of a different one than the usual um, one based on either Eastern European Jewish life or things similar to that. So I want to dedicate this to the production staff of Jewish History Soundbites, who, as always, wish to remain anonymous. But they're both big baseball fans, so I decided to uh, to do to dedicate this to them. They're always there to help out, and really this would not be able to happen in any way, shape, or form, Jewish History Soundbites, without them. In addition, um, I got a lot of help from for this podcast from a renowned Jewish baseball historian and dedicated Jewish history soundbites listener, and by now a good friend, um, our own Katz, who assisted with the research, and he shared a few articles that he wrote about Jews and baseball on tablet um, uh, on, online. And um, which is which is an excellent read. I rec- recommend you read them. Um, so thank you, Aaron. So it's also in the news. In the last Jews and baseball just keep on coming up in the news. Also, there is this uh, interesting fellow Chaim Bloom, who just got um, hired as the GM of the Red Sox. He was with Tampa Bay Devil Rays until now, as some sort of vice president. And there's always been owners and GMs uh, in all sports that were Jewish. Uh, that that seems to be, you know, especially owners, that seems to be a more of a Jewish profession. This bloom seems to be quite traditional. 
to keep some sort of kosher food and there's a whole story with the gefilte fish actually on his desk that he only that he ate on Pesach and that he made some sort of bet with someone that he's going to keep that gefilte fish on his desk until they win the World Series. So let's see if that happens. Another thing that's in the news lately is the Israel baseball team, um, which is composed of Americans who made Aliyah and even some native-born Israelis, incredibly enough that they're going to now make the Tokyo Olympics this coming summer. This is the first time they're qualifying to make the Olympic team. And not only that, it's the first team, Israeli team, as a team, to make the Olympics since their soccer team made it in 1976. So that's that's pretty big news as well. And uh, just an interesting history tidbit is the Israel is baseball was, especially when it was founded, I remember when it was founded a bunch of years ago, I don't know if it's still that way today, so it could be I'm wrong about today, but when it was when it started, baseball in Israel was actually the first sports, official sports team in Israel to not play games on Shabbos, which is a big thing because it's also weekend, weekend sports, and um, at least when they started it was like that, and Historically, that was a major issue in Israeli sports. When you go back to the the friction and the tension between the old Yishuv in the pre in the mandate, uh, the British Mandate era, in the pre-state era, um, the tension between the old Yishuv and the secular Zionism and the settlers that were coming in. One of the points of contention was sports, which is which the remnants there or the residual effects of have remained till today. Um, when in certain Haredi circles, sports in general is still taboo. And one of the reasons, one of the sources for that is because sports was equal Chil Shabbos. And, and the, all the official games were played on Shabbos, sometimes specifically despite there's a, a certain amount of animosity that uh, certain uh, elements of, of uh, the Zionist movement had towards religion. And there was a effort to attract the youth to soccer games and they would even you know try to specifically target uh, youth of the old Yishuv and some of them fell because of the attraction of sports and because it was on Shabbos and there were uh, certain stories like that and that had and that had a, a lasting effect and a certain uh, bitterness that was left between the two groups as sports and it's interesting that baseball when they started as a league, and it didn't last very long as a league, I think they barely got through one season, but there is still some sort of team, like I said, that is going to the Olympics. And originally when they started, they wanted to make a statement out of not playing on Shabbos, which, as we know from throughout uh, the history of Jews in America, baseball was always a great unifier. So it, there it goes again as a unifier. So that's also interesting. So when we talk about Jews and baseball, so... Is one thing that always comes up that's almost a cliche. It's like, 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 uh, like almost come on, wow, that comes up again. And that's, of course, Sandy Koufax not playing on Yim Kipper. That's a classic. Um, but I don't want to be talking about that because obviously we're going to go into things way beyond that, not just, uh, not just uh, <laughs> something that everyone knows. Um, but the question is, it became so classic and so cliche about Sandy Koufax not playing on Yom Kippur 
and it was game one of the 1965 World Series when he, when, uh, he was playing for the Dodgers. He played his entire career for the Dodgers. Um, when it started, I was actually still in Brooklyn, later on moving to L.A. in 1958. So obviously the 1965 series was when they were already way out in Los Angeles. But why did it become so famous? And why did he become an icon? Why did that story become such a classic story that was no other stories about Jews in, in, uh, in, in, in baseball and in sports and anything else? That This was the story. Why does that become so much the story? So a little bit about that and the background and the context. First of all, Sandy Koufax wasn't just another Jew in baseball. He grew up in Brooklyn. He grew up in the same Brooklyn neighborhoods that all the other immigrants were from and in. He played for Brooklyn. In the early years, it was still the Brooklyn Dodgers. And here it was, one of their own, a Jew, who grew up in their neighborhood, who was playing for their team. And this became a symbol of someone they can identify with. This was the Jew who made it. He was one of theirs in, in more ways than one. He wasn't just another Jew. He was, you know, he wasn't a Jew who didn't deny his Jewish identity. Um, and of course, the not playing a new kipper became the symbol of that years later. But um, he was from the neighborhood. He was playing for the local team. And it was, he was be more of, it became like an icon, became a, of a symbol. And it was the way that they made it and the way that they, uh, that they, you know, that they integrated and uh, and they made it into society, and they were proud of it, you know. And uh, the Yom Kippur not playing was the was like the you know the uh, that that the ultimate symbol of that. And just actually, there's also just in the news there were three Jewish players. Um, not that I follow baseball anymore. I stopped quite a few years ago, and um, and um, also in Israel, it's kind of hard to follow on a. Uh, but definitely possible. I just happen to not do it anymore. But it, this this was in the news. So there's three Jewish players, apparently, who all did play on Yom Kippur this year, just a few weeks ago. And all of them lost. There's a guy, Jock Peterson, Max Fried, and Alex Bregman. I have literally no idea about their careers and background. But apparently they're all Jewish. And apparently... They did, they did play. They did not do what Sandy Koufax and other Jewish players, by the way, Hank Greenberg, Sean Green, other, other Jewish players throughout history have done it. They didn't. They played on Yom Kippur and they all lost. So there you go. You have a symbol like that, even though it's hard to take these symbols seriously. And usually I don't, but baseball is a superstitious sport and they take symbols very seriously. So we definitely can take it seriously. With that now, Jews, they 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 made it everywhere, especially I mean, throughout you know. Although there says Jews were the archi architects of Hollywood even before the time of Sandy Koufax, Koufax, and they were all over Hollywood um, in the in pop culture. There were Jewish singers, you know. We're talking about the time of the nineteen fifties and sixties, the time of of Sandy Koufax, Simon and Garfunkel is a Jewish group from New York. Uh, Bob Dylan was Jewish, also from that time. And yet Sandy Koufax stood out. Um, the Jews made it even in sports. Uh, you go back a little bit before Sandy Koufax. Boxing was a major sport that Jews were involved in, both as trainers, coaches, even boxers themselves, and fans. Um, this was like the poor man's sport. 
Jews on the Lower East Side were big boxing fans. It shocked me when I found out, found out about it, and I found out about it as a child because one of the classic books that everyone reads as a child, even if you're not into history, in my generation, I don't know about today, was all for the boss. Ruchama Shane's account of her father, Rabbi Yaakov Yosef Herman, who was a legend in his time about promoting, you know, traditional Judaism and Shabbos and Achnas Asarachim and all kinds of great stuff. And he was a boxing fan. <laughs> and and, uh, and other, other Jews were involved in boxing, both in Brooklyn and the East Side. And it was principally poor Jews, very often Orthodox Jews, who were fans of boxing. So the, the Jewish involvement in sports was all over. But it's a completely different level with baseball. Baseball symbolized integration into American culture. This is the real America. This is America's pastime. Koufax became a single, uh, excuse me, a symbol. Sorry, misspoke. A symbol. He 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 himself stayed out of the limelight till today. By the way, he doesn't like giving interviews. He's still alive. Um, he was never a major leader in the Jewish community, right? But he became beyond who he was as a person. But it was more like, um, you know, what, what it was taken way out of proportion. He, he, in one of the few times he actually spoke about it himself, he said that he never played on Yom Kippur. That was an agreement he had with the Dodgers from the beginning of his career, which was 10 years before, um, that he didn't play on Yom Kippur. And a few times he had sat out on Yom Kippur, just it was never the World Series and he was never up to pitch. So... You know, Don Drysdale pitched instead of him, was the other great pitcher for the, for the Dodgers. And, um, and uh, you know, Koufax ends up pitching game two. When Drysdale pitched game one, he was hit pretty hard by the Minnesota Twins, and he was taken out by manager Walter Alston in the middle of the game, and allegedly impossible to verify the story. It's one of those urban legends. Who knows if it's really true? But allegedly, Drysdale says to Walter Elston, as he's taking him out, he says to him, I bet you wish I was Jewish also. Uh, and, uh, and then I wouldn't be playing today on Yom Kippur. Koufax goes on to pitch three games in a seven-game series. Pitches game two, and even though he pitches pretty well, they lose game two. But he pitches shutouts in games five and seven, wins the World Series MVP. So there you get his, his schar for for not pitching on Yom Kippur. But um, the idea that that it meant to Jews, and I'm reminded of something I once heard from the, uh, from the uh, Orthodox Jewish historian, um, Jeffrey Gurak, Dr. Jeffrey Gurak, who, who explained that the Jews moving out into the suburbs in the 1950s, uh, Jews of the second and third generation American Jews. Already, they're still might be traditional, might be already more assimilated or acculturated into American society. And now many of them are veterans. They're moving out to the suburbs. This is the white flight to the suburbs, which is a fascinating American phenomenon of the post-war era. And they, they're what he called what I remember is what what, what Gurak called the culture or the religion, I don't even know if you went as that extreme, or of Little League. And your child has to be in Little League. He has to be playing baseball. And very often the Little League games are on Saturday afternoon. And you have to be it. If you're in the suburban New Yorkish area, Jewish, uh, excuse me, communities of the 1940s and 50s, 
Little League is, is, is part of culture. It's part of life. And therefore, you have to go, right? So your child has to be a part of that. And this is the symbol of acculturation. This is one step closer to assimilation, especially if they take place on Shabbos afternoon. And it's just another symbol of being part of America. Uh, you know, at the, in the 1950s is when the Jewish conservative movement makes the famous or infamous psak that allows them to drive on Shabbos, which is also part of the move to the suburbs. Once they move to the suburbs, they're not in the cities, they're not in Brooklyn anymore. So they live farther from the shuls, from the synagogues, and it's harder to get to shul. And the, they stop coming to shul. So the conservative movement feels the need to allow them to drive on Shabbos. And this was the destruction eventually. This was the slippery slope that the conservative movement went down, that once you allow driving on Shabbos to go to shul, then you're also going to drive on Shabbos perhaps to have your kid go play in Little League because he has to play in Little League. And anyways, I drove to shul this morning on Shabbos, and, uh, and unfortunately we see the results today, um, you know, many years later, of the uh, lack of, of uh, halachic life in those communities. And, um, and, and baseball plays a, a role there as a symbol of Americanism there as well. So if we get back to Koufax. Um, he, he becomes that symbol. And you have to understand what it meant, um, especially in his early years when he was still in Brooklyn, what it means to be a Brooklyn Dodger fan, a Jewish Brooklyn Dodger fan. There are three baseball teams in New York at the time. The Giants, who played on the polo grounds in Manhattan. Uh, the Yankees, which were in the Bronx, but they were also a team of the middle class. The Brooklyn Dodgers were a real Brooklyn team. They were the team of the, the, the working class, the simple people, the Jewish immigrants, and especially their children, were usually Brooklyn Dodger fans, not of the Yankees or the Giants, although there were exceptions in my family. Of course, I'm a fourth-generation Yankee fan, and my grandparents remembered watching Babe Ruth play. My father watched, remembers watching Mickey Mantle play, and I, of course, remember Don Mattingly play, and I still got a couple of years of watching Derek Jeter play before he moved to Israel. So we definitely have that. But there were the most, for the most part the Jewish working class was Brooklyn Dodger fans. They were the local, they were the ones, you know, the, the, the Ebbets Field was right around the corner from 770 in Crown Heights. And it's not far from East New York and Bensonhurst and all the Jewish neighborhoods of that time, uh, Brownsville, uh, which, which uh, and, and they were that team. And here, like I said, it's not just that he's a Jew and not just that he's not playing New Kipper. It's that it's in Brooklyn, a boy from Brooklyn, you know, and the even after they moved to L.A., they moved to L.A. until today, Dodger Stadium is right next to the old Jewish cemetery in L.A. So they, they keep the Jewish connection even in L.A. There's also the question uh, if uh, there was a Leibovitch Shliach with had the ironic baseball name of Moshe Feller, right? It's at the time, right after Bob Feller had played, and he has the name Moshe Feller. Obviously, there's no relation whatsoever. But he's a Chabad Shliach to, uh, to uh, Minnesota. And he goes up to Sandy Koufax's hotel room the day after Yom Kippur when he didn't pitch. And he offers to help him put on tefillin. 
and Koufax says, yeah, it's okay, I could do it myself, and we don't know till today if he actually put it on. But there's another great story of Jews in baseball beyond Koufax, of course, beyond Hank Greenberg also. Hank Greenberg was the original great Jewish player, Hammer and Hank, or the Hebrew Hammer. He actually grew up in an Orthodox home in the Bronx to Romanian immigrant parents, and he plays for the Detroit Tigers when Detroit is the center of American anti-Semitism. Henry Ford with the Dearborn Independent, and even more so with Father Coughlin, who was the Catholic priest who earned the, the, earned the most... Uh, the most popular radio show in America was blatantly anti-Semitic. And here the Detroit Free Press has, as far as we know, the only time a major American newspaper ran a headline written in Hebrew. And right before Shoshana, right before there was a major game, and they were trying to, I guess, also encourage Hank Greenberg to play that Rosh Hashanah, which he did, and he hit a home run, and which caused a big controversy, but they write on the headline, right before Rosh Hashanah, in Hebrew letters, L'shana Toiva Tikasevu. Have a happy Jewish New Year, Hank. And he plays on Rosh Hashanah, and this is in the face of all the anti-Semitism, which he himself, Hank Greenberg, experienced personally in Detroit. And then he goes ahead and plays on Rosh Hashanah and hits a home run. And everyone's excited and happy, but it's all controversial. And was it a kosher game? Was it a kosher home run? And this is debated in the Detroit newspapers, which today might seem less crazy, but in the 1930s, especially in a place like Detroit, like I said, it's it's wild. It's unbelievable that it actually happened. And he went ahead and did not play that Yom Kippur. So he precedes Sandy Koufax and Sean Green, who didn't play Yom Kippur. So he is the first one to go ahead and not play Yom Kippur. But there's another story, which is even crazier, which involves the 1969 Miracle Mets, right? They're a new team, an expansion team, and they're pretty lousy. They're, uh, this, this, this might be the first year that they have a chance, but they're still under 500. It's in May, it's the end of May, and, they're, and they have these new upstarts, you know, Nolan Ryan, Tom Seaver, and there is the yeshiva, the yeshiva of Eastern Parkway, the Rosh Hashiva was a fellow by the name of Rabbi Michal Silber, and there was a fire that destroyed the yeshiva. They sustained the tremendous damage. And they go on a big publicity campaign to try to raise money, and they get some sort of connection to the Mets, who actually had a Jewish player at the time, Art Shamsky. And, but that wasn't their connection. They had another connection. And the Mets, who had some sort of players, coaches, fire fund, they decide to donate 500 bucks to Yeshiva's Eastern Parkway. They ask Rabbi Michal Silber to come down on May 28th to the Mets Stadium to receive the check as a publicity for the Mets, for him. He decides to give them a Seder plate as a present, as a symbolic present. He gives it to the manager, Gil Hodges, the famous Brooklyn Dodgers of the previous era, and he's the manager of the Mets at this point, and it's written in Hebrew on the Seder plate. So Gil Hodges asks Rabbi Silber, what does it say here? And he tells him, it says on the Seder plate, Manishtano halayla hazeh mikol halaylis. And he translates it. Why is this night different than all other nights? Thank you for your donation. Gil Hodges is very moved. He's a religious Catholic. He's all excited. 
And that night, this is why is it night, this night different from all the nights, that night starts the first major winning streak that the Mets experienced that season. That changes their team. They go above 500. They become a winning team. And they go on, the Miracle Mets, to win the World Series that first time that year. They had loads of Jewish fans in Queens. This was a major story. And this is actually a true story. This is a wild, uh, why is this night different than all other nights? So, Jews are all over baseball. There's, there's um, stories, of all kinds of stories of Jewish players, of Jews, Jewish players who didn't even know they're Jewish, like the famous pitcher Ralph Branca, who lived his whole life as a Catholic. He's the famous Dodgers pitcher who gave up the Bobby Thompson shot heard round the world in the 1951 playoff between the Giants and Dodgers. He didn't even know he was Jewish till the end of his life. And he actually put on tefillin, a Chabad shliach, uh, put tefillin on him a couple of years before he died. He, his whole life he lived as a Catholic. Turned out his mother was a Jewish, descended from Hungarian Jewish, her ancestry, Hungarian Jewish ancestry. There was all kinds of other Jewish players that we don't have time to talk about. But what, what I want to end off with, what, what was a sign of integration and Americanization for the immigrant generation, kind of continues today in the Orthodox Jewish world, where you have mincha minyanim at certain stadiums, where you have all kinds, you have kosher hot dogs at some Jewish stadiums. I think it started in Camden Yards in Baltimore, but eventually made it to New York. And I think a great example of that is actually the well-known uh, broadcaster, sports commentator in New York, Mike Francesa. Um, he's a favorite of all yeshiva guys. Uh, I recently, not recently, actually, towards the beginning of Jewish History Soundbites, I received a letter from a Jewish History Soundbites listener. He said to he suggested that I do a podcast on Mike Francesa, and I'm quoting him, so please don't yell at me if this makes you feel uncomfortable. He said... He has more influence on yeshiva guys in New York than all the rabbeim in New York put together. End quote. So I should do something. I don't know if I will, but the idea is, is that yeshiva guys and religious Jews living in New York and in other places, baseball and baseball commentary and sports and people like Mike Francesa is a kind of a, like a kosher entertainment. It's not pop culture. It's not the movies. It's not Hollywood. It's not less kosher celebrities, which I don't want to get into. It's baseball, and it's Mike Francesa, and it's, and, it's, and it's fun, and it's innocent, and that's the perfect outlet. And therefore, that's another way of Jewish integration into America. So take me out to the ball game, to the kosher ball game, to the kosher hot dogs in your ball game, and enjoy. This was Jewish History Soundbites with Yehuda Gebra. You can reach me at ygebss at gmail.com. And you can follow, for questions, comments, sources, and trips, you can also follow Jewish History Soundbites on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. Don't miss an episode. Follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.